Hi, I'm James Anderson Foster, and you're listening to Who's Afraid, a weekly podcast of awesome serialized horror fiction written by amazing authors, performed for you by professional narrators, and brought to you by SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Serial Audio presents Pine Lakes, written by Chris Motts, performed for you by Joe Hempel. Episode 3 Chapter 3 Four months after the miscarriage, Ted and Susan stood outside the large display window of the Elmview Mall's only pet store. The plan had started as dinner and a movie, but Susan had gotten sidetracked by a Yorkie in the window and couldn't stop watching as it rolled around playfully in scraps of cut newspaper. The puppy stared up at her, barked, licked the glass when she placed her palm against it, wagging its tail frantically and stepping in its water bowl without notice. He put on a show for smiling spectators without even realizing it, hamming it up as they passed. He's gorgeous, Susan said, tapping the window glass as the Yorkie yipped at her. Certainly knows how to get attention, Ted laughed. Maybe we should take him home, she replied. Just what we need, Ted laughed. Cold puddles of piss to dodge in the dark. Dogs are smart, she said. They learn fast. You're serious? Sure, why not? Susie, when the hell do we have time to house train a puppy? I have all the time in the world, she said. She turned and Ted withered beneath her glare. He knew this wasn't going to wind up being the fun day out he'd hoped for. I'm always at work, he said. When would I even see him? I'm just saying. I'm home all day, by myself. It would be nice to have something to keep me company, something to take care of. Do you think that's what we need right now? Dogs are a lot of work. You think I don't know that? She hissed. A passing couple looked at her with raised eyebrows, snickering at one another. Look, the perfect couple, she shouted. They never argue because their minds are too empty to have opinions. Okay, let's dial it down, Ted said. We don't need to cause a scene in the middle of the mall. Let's just get dinner and we can go home early. Have a glass of wine, relax. That's your answer, isn't it? Just stay numb all the time and not have to deal with anything. I'm not going to fight with you, Susan, Ted huffed. If you want to go, let's go. Susan turned back to the puppy as it curled up in its bed and looked up at her with sad eyes. Even he felt the moment slipping away. She tapped the window with her fingernail, but the puppy closed its eyes and turned away. She watched his tail wag twice and go still. Just another living creature she disappointed. I want to go home, she said. Susie, Ted comforted. If you want to talk about getting a puppy, we can. He tried to hug her, but she pulled away. What's the point? I'd probably just kill the fucking thing. Sue, let's not do this now, huh? Do what? She shouted. I see how you look at me, like I'm a strange new bug on the windshield. I had one job to do, and I failed. You didn't fail at anything, he said. Didn't I? It's like a door slammed in my face. 
and you and my parents were on the other side wondering what I'd done wrong. No one thinks that, for Christ's sake, Susan. Don't you think we've all suffered? He looked around, feeling eyes on them, judging them. I gave you a gift and fed it to the wolves, she cried. I can't do this. I need to leave. Ted tried touching her, consoling her, telling her he didn't blame her for anything. Then it hit him. Today would have been their child's due date. Instead, it was a birthday that had gone unrecorded, a date to be forgotten and avoided rather than celebrated. They left the pet store behind. Susan glanced back one last time and saw the Yorkie jump to life as a little girl squealed in delight, begging Daddy to give the little guy a happy home. Tears streamed down Susan's face as she staggered drunkenly to a bench and collapsed, her entire body shaking as she wept openly. She forgot where she was. The mall melted away as she receded into the dark shroud of her own misery. She didn't feel Ted's soothing hands, didn't hear his pained assurances or urgings to get her home. All she heard was the drone of her inadequacy and the hollow thud of her dreams falling to the ground and being trampled by heavy feet. Susan had no concept of passing time. She felt Ted grab her arm and lead her away from the Christmas muzak that tinkled from the mall's overhead speakers. Through the blur of her tears, she saw people pass, strangers watching her through masks of false concern. She buried her face in Ted's shoulder and let him carry her away. She lost herself in his warmth, in his scent, in his familiarity. What felt like seconds later, Ted's strong arms lowered her to the bed and removed her shoes. She was all cried out, exhausted. He kissed her tenderly between the eyes and pulled the blanket up to her chin. She reached out and held his hands, offering a smile so slight it was almost indiscernible. I know, baby, he said. I know. Ted closed the bedroom door, flicked off the light and crawled into bed next to her without a word. The sun set on another day. When she awoke, the bedroom was ablaze with early morning sun. She felt pressure on her chest and opened her eyes to a tiny, fuzzy face looking back at her. Before she could sit up, the Yorkie puppy leapt forward and jammed its tongue in her eye, covering her face in kisses with the smallest tongue she'd ever seen. She reached out to push him away as he latched onto her shirt sleeve and tugged playfully. A second later, he was back to wildly licking her cheek and ear, pouncing on her chest, nibbling at her hair with sharp little puppy teeth. Get away, get away, she shouted gleefully. The child inside her awoke with a roar. Her heart swelled as the Yorkie's tail flitted back and forth in a blur, vibrating more than wagging. The puppy rolled over on the blanket and wiggled around on its back, miniature legs pumping in the air. I know you, Susan squealed. He wanted to come home, Ted said from the doorway. Startled, she sat up in bed as the puppy barked shrilly. Ted entered the room and sat on the edge of the bed as the puppy jumped up on his back, trying to sink its teeth into the brim of his baseball cap. When he couldn't reach, he settled with nibbling on the skin of Ted's arm instead. You went back to the pet store, she said, smiling. Ted, you didn't have to. I saw how you looked at him. Besides, I wasn't going to let that little girl have him. I thought she would take him home for sure. 
Susan reached out a hand and let the puppy nibble on her fingers. She was in love with him immediately. If she was there, I was prepared for a fight, Ted said. Her father was a big man, Susan laughed. Not him. Her. I'm not above knocking a little girl on her ass. Susan laughed warmly and swatted his arm. You're going to smack a little girl around? In a heartbeat. If she was there, she was going down. They laughed together as the puppy watched them, its head cocked to the side. So what are you going to name him? Ringo, she said without hesitation. Ringo was her favorite beetle, a fact Ted teased her about frequently. Not Sir Paul? Susan shook her head as the puppy flopped down on the bedspread. It watched them with bright eyes that slowly closed, sighed contentedly and curled up in the blanket. Definitely Ringo, she said. Her bottom lip quivered as she looked at Ted. A part of her she thought was missing or damaged beyond repair clicked back into place, heavily tarnished but intact. Thank you, she said. For everything. Ted smiled and caressed the smooth skin of her cheek. She rested her head in his hand and sighed. I'm going to make breakfast, he said. Why don't you keep Ringo company and I'll bring it in when I'm done. She scratched Ringo's head as Ted crossed the room. He turned around in the doorway and smiled. He always thought she was the most beautiful when she was just waking up. Her eyes were still half-closed, her hair a nest of knots and tangles. We're going to be okay, she said. We're going to be just fine, he assured her. Ted turned and shut the door behind him. Ringo sprang up and barked twice, his tail twitching. He walked to the edge of the bed, looked at Susan and pissed on the mattress. A second later, he returned to his warm spot on the bed and curled up next to Susan's leg. She shook her head and smiled. Ted was right. A puppy was a lot of work, but she was ready for the challenge. I hope Ringo's okay, Susan said quietly. They'd remained perfectly still and silent since the lights faded and the forest went back to sleep. I'm sure he's fine, Ted said. Lauren is checking in on him twice a day. Lauren was their neighbor, one of the sane ones. I know, but I worry. She looked at her watch and pressed a button, her face lit with a soft blue glow, and in the gloom Ted saw her brow wrinkle with confusion. What time is it? According to this, it's a little after noon. More like midnight, he muttered. We have to get out of these woods, Susie. Something's not right here. Not right? You've just won the prize for understatement of the year. Well, the good news is that soon our parents will wonder why we didn't check in, Ted said. Not mine, she replied. Their flight for Pensacola leaves soon. I'm sure they're busy with last-minute preparations. You know how my father is. Ted mumbled something under his breath and nodded slowly. He'd forgotten his in-laws were beginning a week of food and fun in sunny Florida. What do you think those things are? he asked, changing the subject. Susan shook her head and patted her thigh nervously. I don't have the slightest clue. A dog pack? All dogs' eyes glow like that? Did they climb the trees with flashlights, too? Ted, you asked a question and I answered. If I knew what was going on, you'd be the first to know. Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Ted said in his best Robert Stack impersonation, your stack sounds like Telly Savalas. 
You're a harsh critic. Susan giggled and reached for his hand in the dark just as a light appeared deep in the forest. She squeezed tightly and shivered as goosebumps crawled over her flesh. Her laughter died in her throat. Ted? I see it, he whispered. The ball of light was near the ground, moving east to west, disappearing behind the trees and reappearing seconds later. Although its arrival had always been heralded by the strange siren and the appearance of creatures, this time it was alone, casting a dim glow in the tangled brush. Ted felt Susan's hand tremble, and he squeezed it reassuringly. The balls of light didn't give him the same all-consuming feeling of dread the other creatures did, but still, they were wholly unnatural. A branch snapped outside Susan's window with a loud crack. She turned just in time to see a pair of glowing eyes approaching the car. A haunting howl broke the silence as it turned and crunched back into the forest. I think they're afraid of the light, Susan said. The forest came alive with a chorus of howls, wails, and yips, like a distant pack of coyotes on the hunt. The ball of light grew brighter, and the sounds ceased, leaving only echoes behind. Something heavy slammed into the front of the wrecked car, and Susan screamed as the cuda rocked on its springs. It collided with the vehicle a second time, and Ted felt the car move back a few feet. The remaining headlights smashed with an explosive tinkling of glass. What the hell was large enough to move a 3,000-pound vehicle through the soft ground of the forest floor on flattened tires? Make it stop. Make it stop. Make it... Susan's terrified rambling was cut short by a loud squeal of static from the Cuda's dead radio. Ted flinched as if he'd been struck, reaching out and turning the volume knob. The crackly warble of faraway signals tripped over one another, creating a muddled, obnoxious series of voices and musical passages. Susan covered her ears and moaned. A snippet of Seize the Day by Avenged Sevenfold. A snippet of Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin an announcer calling plays on a Red Sox game. A verse of Uriah Heep's The Wizard, followed by Deep Purple's Perfect Strangers. A commercial for Walmart and Anderson Windows. Turn it off, Susan shouted. I can't, it won't go off, Ted replied. A passage from The Devil Went Down to Georgia. The chorus of Turn It On Again by Genesis. Hotel California. Hell is for Children. Highway to Hell. Ted grimaced at the theme and pounded on the stereo, but couldn't make the grating, persistent noise go away. He never hated classic rock until that moment. He looked through the broken windshield at the small point of light hovering a hundred yards away. If anything had crept up to the car, they'd never hear it, never know it was there. The radio drowned out all other sound. Suddenly, the constant barrage of noise settled and a voice spoke through a wall of static, a deep, chilling, monotone voice. Zero, two, one, five, one, nine, eight, one, the voice droned. Zero, six, zero, five, two, zero, one, seven. What the fuck is that? Susan cried. The series of numbers repeated. Then a third time, before a loud crack of static ended the transmission. I feel like I'm in an episode of Lost, Ted said, laughing nervously. Zero, eight, one, four, one, 
nine, eight, one, the voice drawled. Zero, six, zero, five, two, zero, one, seven. Again, the series of numbers repeated twice more before the radio went silent. The distant ball of light flickered and disappeared. The cracked display on the stereo went black. Thunder rumbled, and the sky opened. Fat drops of rain hammered the car like handfuls of thrown ball bearings. Susan held her head in her hands and cried steadily, her body hitching with painful sobs. What were those numbers? she moaned. What the hell did they mean? Ted didn't reply. Just like the balls of light. Just like the creatures that stalked them and the thing that hit the car. The radio numbers were just a mystery. It sounded like gibberish. The string of digits repeated over and over in his head until they bled together. Why were they so familiar? Ted sucked in a breath and held it. Oh, oh shit. What? Oh shit, what? Susan shouted over the rain. The numbers, I know what they are. What? Tell me, goddammit. Zero, two, one, five, one, nine, eight, one, he repeated. February 15th, 1981. My birthday. Your birthday? I don't understand. The second set is today's date. Who fucking cares, Ted? We have to get out of here now. August 14th, 1981, he said. Your birthday and today's date. Who fucking cares, Ted? We have to get out of here now. August 14th, 1981, he said. Your birthday and today's date. You're not making sense, she shouted. What is that supposed to mean? I'm not sure, he said. I guess it could be anything. A coincidence? Susan went back to crying, staring out the passenger window into nothing. Then forget about it and help me, she said, tugging on her legs. We're leaving, somehow. Ted nodded and agreed to help. Susan was right. Escaping this wretched place was now their top priority. Why do you watch this crap? Susan asked. Ted sat on the couch with Ringo curled up next to him. Instead of spending the day in the garage working on the Barracuda, he opted for a quiet, lazy day with popcorn and Netflix. He watched little television these days, but when he did, he binged. Today was all about Twin Peaks and the mystery surrounding Laura Palmer. He was barely ten years old when the show wrapped production and his parents weren't much into the spooky stuff, as his mother was wont to say. Going back to that town was like getting a second chance to be a kid again. This is not crap, my dear, Ted said, wiping butter from his fingers. This is genre-defining television. Genre-defining crap, she laughed. Susan plopped on the couch next to him and dug her fingers into his bowl of Jiffy Pop. She sipped from his bottle of Yingling Lager and belched loudly. Ringo looked up at her sleepily and buried his head beneath the blanket. You, ma'am, are no lady, Ted said. If you wanted a lady, you wouldn't have married me. Smart and beautiful, he quipped. What's this about, anyway? she asked. Who killed Laura Palmer? So it's a murder mystery? It's not that simple. See that guy? he pointed. That's Special Agent Dale Cooper. 
He came to the town of Twin Peaks to investigate the murder of a popular high school student. I know him. That's the guy from Desperate Housewives. And you call my shows crap? Susan tossed a piece of popcorn at him playfully, and Ringo miraculously woke from his slumber to make it disappear. Oh, there? That's the log lady. The what now? The log lady. She gets psychic visions from the log she carries with her. Susan laughed at the absurdity of it, thinking Ted was pulling her leg. Oh, God. You're serious? Absolutely. She plays a big part in the investigation. She has talking wood? I'll have talking wood, too, if you show me your Twin Peaks. Oh, my God, she laughed. You think that's clever, don't you? I do, he said, cramming a handful of popcorn in his mouth. You're a barbarian, she giggled. Oh, I know that guy, she pointed. That's Laura Palmer's father, Ted said. He doesn't have a talking psychic log? Not that I know of, Ted laughed. You want to watch with me? Sure, why the hell not? I can use some mindless entertainment. They sat on the couch for twelve hours, only pausing briefly for snacks and walking Ringo in the yard. When they finished, they noticed it was after three in the morning and they downed two six-packs of beer. They turned off the television, took Ringo out to do his business, and put him in his pen. Susan didn't like having to lock Ringo up overnight, but the dog was as stubborn as they come. Even a year later, he still lifted his leg on the furniture when he thought no one was looking. Caging him had been the catalyst for several arguments between them, but Ted got his way in the end. They slipped into bed, tired and buzzing from the alcohol. Ringo circled in his bed a few times and plopped down with a sigh. Ted had relented, allowing Ringo to sleep in the room with them since he couldn't sleep in bed. It was a compromise he was willing to make. So when can we watch more? Susan asked as she nestled beneath the covers. Next time I'm off, if you want. I guess you don't think it's stupid anymore, he said. It's okay, she conceded. Ted listened to Susan rustle around beneath the covers and closed his eyes. He felt her warm hands on his chest, and his eyes popped open. What are you up to? What was that you said about my twin peaks? She straddled him and kissed him lightly on the lips. Something about your wood? She reached down between them and rubbed his crotch through the thin fabric of his pajama bottoms. Oh, yep, there it is. I see, Ted said. Now you're coming to the dark side. Be quiet and kiss my face, she said, grabbing his cheeks and licking his lips playfully. They made love until the sky brightened and slept until noon. By then, Ringo was tap-dancing on the plastic mat beneath his pen. All in all, it was a good day. Hopefully, the beginning of many. Ted was so focused on freeing Susan's legs from under the dash, he didn't realize the numbness in his own legs had subsided, replaced with pins and needles as blood flowed into his toes. He wiggled his feet and groaned as pain shot from his ankles to his knees. He didn't think anything was broken. Susie, he said, I think I can get out. Well, then get out, she shouted. What are you waiting for? Calm down, baby, he soothed. This miserable experience is almost over. We'll be eating breakfast tomorrow morning and laughing about this. I don't know about laughing, Susan said, but I'll certainly have a smile on my face. 
Ted wriggled around and grunted with exertion as he tugged on his left leg, feeling it pop free from the wreckage beneath the dash. He rubbed life back into his thigh as he worked on freeing the other leg. There was movement, but it still felt tightly wedged against the firewall. When the leg suddenly pulled free, Ted gasped and started laughing as he worked the kinks out of his ankles and knees. I got it, he exclaimed. I never thought I'd be so happy to feel pain. Get your happy ass over here and get me out, Susan said. The sooner the better. Ted pushed on his door, but it wouldn't budge. The impact had twisted the Cuda's body significantly. Instead, Ted elbowed the fractured window and felt it give as rainwater trickled in from outside. One more heavy blow and the window buckled and fell to the ground. The muffled thunder and steady rain suddenly felt closer, more alive. Water dribbled through the opening, soaking his clothes and chilling him instantly. For a summer night, it was downright frigid. His breath escaped in white clouds as he struggled to crawl through the tight hole. Ted tumbled to the damp leaves of the forest floor, lying still as rain spattered his face. He rubbed his hands over his legs to make sure they were in one piece, wincing only once at a deep gash in his right calf. The blood had dried on his jeans in a large, tacky patch. What's going on? Susan called from inside. Are you okay? I'm great, he yelled. Better than great, to be honest. He stood next to the car and stretched, his back crackling. There was just enough light to see the mangled wreck. He exhaled deeply and shook his head. They were lucky to be alive, but the Cuda would never hit the open road again. Ten years of his life sitting crushed and broken in the muddy ground. If not for the fact that he'd been freed from his steel prison, he'd likely be weeping over the hunk of battered metal. Get me out of here, Susan called. I have to pee, seriously. Ted chuckled and rounded the car as the rain plastered his shirt to his skin. The trunk of the vehicle had popped open in the crash and dumped the contents onto the forest floor like discarded trash. He made a mental note to check for the flashlights and rain gear as soon as he freed Susan from the wreck. Prepared for a fight, Ted tugged on the passenger door handle and fell back into the mud as it opened without resistance. Susan reached her arms outside and flailed her hands at him, feeling the rain drip from her skin. Get up! Get up! she said. I'm going to piss my pants if you don't get me out of here. Your knight in shining armor is on his way, Ted joked. Where is he? All I see is you playing in the mud. He laughed and stood, pushing the door open further as Susan slid around in her seat. Her right leg was already free. She waggled her ankle and hissed at the soreness that had crept into her joint. I feel like I've been sitting here for years, she said. We're almost out of here, babe. One more tug and we'll be on our way. Less talking, more tugging. Ted felt around in the dark interior of the car and made sure Susan wasn't injured. He grazed her breast and she slapped his hand away playfully. Now is not the time for Twin Peaks, she groaned. Is that what you think of me? Ted laughed. That I'd take advantage of a woman in distress? Susan watched the dark forest behind him, waiting for the slightest sign of movement. The only sound was of the rain and the chill breeze rustling through the trees. What if the entire thing was hallucinatory? What if this miserable experience could be chalked up to fear and trauma? 
For their sake, she was perfectly fine to have imagined the things going bump in the night. Okay, Ted said. There's only one way to do this, and I don't know if it will hurt. But we don't have many options. I'll hold my breath, and you pull as hard as you can? Exactly. Susan did just that as Ted wrapped his strong arms around her waist and planted his feet firmly in the mud. Before he had a chance to pull, a branch snapped behind him and he froze. It was hard to tell where it had come from, but it was close. Jesus Christ, Susan muttered. A loud, wet snarl grumbled from nearby, and Ted's blood ran cold. The rain had given the creature an advantage, allowing it to sneak up on him without being heard until it was too late. Ted turned and squinted into the darkness, knowing it was too late to escape the jaws of whatever lurked in the brush just beyond his field of vision. Without further hesitation, Ted slammed the passenger door with a loud thunk and scrambled in the slick mud. He rounded the front of the car and slipped onto his side, falling into the slimy leaves with a grunt as the wind exploded from his lungs. He heard the wet patter of approaching feet buried beneath Susan's shrill screams as he waited to come face to face with whatever stalked them. Ted saw its silhouette lumbering ever closer, heard its wet breathing, and smelled the awful, sour stink wafting off it in waves. Its eyes opened, large yellow globes watching his every move. Ted slid backward in the muck, using the cuda's twisted bumper as a handhold. The rain had made it too slick for it to be an effective grip. He slid a few inches further as the beast hovered over his chest, exhaling reeking bursts of rotting meat. Ted gaped at its size. It stood on four legs the size of traffic cones, its shoulders easily three feet across as it hunched over him. It reminded him of one of those damn wolves from Game of Thrones, those massive bastards the size of ponies. If it was going to sink its teeth into him, at least it would be a quick death. Ted listened as Susan screamed his name from inside the car. The cuda rocked with her exertion as she tried to free herself. Susie, stay in the car, he bellowed. The creature growled deeply, sounding like garbled, sinister laughter. Don't come out here. Please, stay in the car, he cried. Giant teeth wrapped around his shoe like a bear trap, tugging harshly. Ted shouted into the rainy sky and swung his arms frantically, trying to hit the beast with his closed fists, but it was out of his reach. He gripped the front of the car with both hands as he was violently shaken. His hand slipped on the wet bumper as the beast dragged him several feet through the wet leaves. He looked up at the passenger window and saw Susan's terror-stricken face plastered to the glass. He saw her at prom in a gorgeous plum-colored dress, her hair spilling over her shoulders, her smile shy and guarded. As the beast's hot muzzle nudged his arm, he held on to the first time he and Susan had touched, the first soft caress in the dim light of the school auditorium. He reached out to her as she put her hand to the window, crying his name with heartbreaking clarity. The monster clamped harder on his thin sneaker and began pulling him away from the wreck. Susan's cries faded as the cuda was swallowed in darkness. Ted dug his hands into the soggy ground, 
tearing the skin from his fingers as he grabbed blindly at the sharp rocks. He reached out and grabbed the slick, gnarled bark of a tree, only to have his fingernails ripped painfully from their beds. He screamed, he cried, he cursed his captor and invoked the name of God. But in the end, he was only pulled faster and faster into the forest, his nose full of the scents of wet earth and musky rot. He heard a final cry from Susan just as he blacked out. At least he wouldn't suffer. Thanks for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Who's Afraid as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Remember to come back next week or subscribe at SerialAudio.com so you never miss a new episode. You can learn more about this podcast and other serialized fiction shows by visiting our website at SerialAudio.com. That's all one word, SerialAudio.com, where you can subscribe to this and our other shows via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. While you're at it, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends. Even better, if you have a few spare seconds, leave a review on iTunes. To help support this show, sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash serial audio. You'll get early access to episodes ad-free and special bonuses like behind-the-scenes author and narrator interviews. Thank you again from all of us at SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy.